Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. Warm and friendly hello, welcome to Lovey Las Vegas from Baseball Wedding Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Got a great podcast for you. In the second segment, we're going to be joined by Danny Vietti. We are just a couple short days away from the All-Star Game, which means that things are getting hot and heavy. The trade deadline is going to be coming within the next few weeks. So we're going to talk about some of the guys that might be out there on the market, some of the teams that might be trying to climb their way back into the division race, some of the teams that might be trying to find their way into a wild card that might be buyers at the trade deadline, perhaps some teams that might be sellers as well. So we'll have a lot of fun with that in the second segment. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys a side total on every game on the betting board for this Saturday. And a little something I like to call, touch them all first things first. Always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. If you got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GRSCORTY1. Keep in mind, letters ZM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you, into there. 
Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but we had a strange day of baseball on Friday as we saw three teams get shut out and we saw four teams score double figures. So let's take a look back at it all, try to find some trends in and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. It makes sense that the worst two offenses in the National League hook up and you wind up having the Mets drop a 13th spot. 13 to 4, the Mets take down the Pittsburgh Pirates. JT Brubaker, well, there was something brewing and it was a whole lot of runs for the Mets. He gives up six runs over the course of five innings, including a pair of long balls going deep for the Metropolitan's Jonathan VR. Not just once, but twice for his seventh and eighth home runs of the season. Francisco Lindor has had a very tough year so far. He goes deep off of Kyle Keller. Tenth home run of the season, and Pete Alonso gets his 16th for Keller. He comes in for two-thirds of an inning, gives up a run, and Sam Howard, who had been doing a relatively okay job out there in the bullpen prior to this, he winds up going at third of an inning and he gives up five runs all of which were earned. The game was earned out by Allison Davis giving you two innings. He gave up one run so he's able to do his part and then you wind up having a home run for the Pittsburgh Pirates off the bat of Rodolfo Castro. The young 22 year old gets his first career home run as the Pirates went two of 11 with men in scoring position. Taiwan Walker wasn't necessarily his sharpest but gives up just two runs over the course of five innings. From there Aaron Lupus scoreless inning. You wind up having Nick Tropiano give up one run in two innings and Yancy Diaz gives up a run in an inning as well. So the Mets continue to be one of the top teams out there in baseball when it comes to being able to get it done at home. Right now, the Mets sit with a 27-12 and home record. That is the best win percentage at home out there in baseball. The Red Sox have been surging at home as well. 11-5, they wind up taking down the Philadelphia Phillies. Vince Velasquez wound up seeing a whole lot of regression as he got seven outs and he gave up eight runs, all of which were earned, and the Boston Red Sox took him deep early and often. Kike Hernandez, 11th home run of the season. J.D. Martinez is 18th, and Rafael Devers his 22nd. From there, you wind up having Aniel De Los Santos come in for five outs. He gives up a run. Brandon Kitzler gives up two runs in one and two-thirds innings. Connor Brogdon was able to round out an inning, and then you wind up having position player Ronald Torres wind up pitching a scoreless inning, and he didn't even wind up giving up any hits or anything. Five pitches in the inning, so that's efficiency. They can use Torres once again tomorrow if they want to, and Jose Alvarado was able to give you a scoreless inning as well, and for the Boston Reds Garrett Richards continues to be able to just get out of these jams. He gives up seven hits, three total runs over the course of five innings. So once again, he gets the job done. Yaxel Rios, along with Darwinson Hernandez, Brandon Workman, I'll give you a scoreless setting of mad injuries. Does give up two runs along the way, but for the Philadelphia Phillies, they continue to be absolutely brutal on the road. 18 and 28, now their road record as they were able to beat up on the Cubs for a couple days. And the Cubs wound up after losing that series to the Phillies, taking it out on the St. Louis Cardinals, who have not necessarily been experiencing great times themselves. 10-5 to the final for the St. Louis Cardinals. It has certainly been a rough ride for them. They have now lost 20 out of their last 30 games against teams other than the Arizona Diamondbacks. And for the Cubs, Patrick Wisdom still registering a home run in fewer than every 10 at-bats. His 12th of the season, I think that he's had like 111 at-bats, something like that. It's amazing to see. And for Kyle Hendricks, he gets his National League leading 11th win as he does this despite having a 377 ERA for the year. He winds up giving up two runs over the course of six and a third innings. Cubs did not wind up getting the world's greatest inning on the bullpen from Kyle Ryan as he would wind up giving up three runs in the ninth, but Andrew Chafin 
along with Dane Winkler. Combined for a scoreless inning, and Ryan Tapera was able to give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen and for the St. Louis Cardinals. Just not what you were looking for out of one that Wade LeBlanc. He gives up three runs in three innings. From there, you wind up having a run given up in two-thirds of an inning by Luis Garcia. Andrew Miller, a scoreless inning. Justin Miller gives you an out out of the bullpen as well. Ryan Elsley was able to give you a scoreless inning. And then from there, Genesis Cabrera along Junior Fernandez give up a combined five runs in an inning. And Brandon Waddle gives you a run given up in an inning. And for Paul DeYoung, he was able to go yard in this one. 11th home run the season, but still... Things not necessarily looking so rosy for the St. Louis Cardinals. Things are looking real bad for the Baltimore Orioles, to be expected, as the White Sox go on the road and they completely destroy Baltimore by a count of 12 to 1. For the White Sox, you wind up having a pair of home runs off the bat of Gavin Sheets' third of the season and Adam Engel, his fourth, as for the Baltimore Orioles. Jorge Lopez winds up giving up fewer runs than you probably expect. In four innings, he gives up eight hits. And one walk while surrendering just two runs, but then the bullpen, they would feel it from there. Sean Anderson winds up going one and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs, all of which were unearned as Calvin Gutierrez commits his 10th there of the season. Pat Vileka, position player, had to get the final out of the game for the Baltimore Orioles. Cesar Valdez gives up three runs in an inning. Dylan Tate gives up two runs in an inning. Cole Sulzer gives up two runs in an inning. And for the Baltimore Orioles, Ramon Urias was able to take Dallas Keuchel deep for his fourth home run of the season, and that would really be the lone blemish for Keuchel as he gives up that solo run over the course of seven innings. Michael Kopech, good to see him back. He and Matt Foster both give you a scoreless ending out of the bullpen. And for the White Sox, how about what they've been able to do at 52 and 35? That is one of the best win percentages that you're going to find out there in baseball. Third best in the American League. And overall, I believe that they are now number six. A team that has been able to win all year long is the San Francisco Giants. And they get it done against Washington Nationals. 5-3 the final for the Nats. Paulo Espino did not wind up giving you the start that you were hoping for. Three and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned, including a homer. Sam Clay comes in from there. He goes one and a third innings, giving up a solo run in the process. Kyle McGowan, Ryan Arp both give you a scoreless inning and then Wander I swear oh this guy sucks gives up a home run because he's Wander I swear oh this guy sucks that one was served up to Wilmer Flores his ninth home run of the season Darren Ruff also got his ninth home run of the season in this one and Kirk Casale gets his third as Logan Webb in his first start off the injured list winds up being held back a little bit goes three scoreless settings from there you wind up having a not so great appearance from Jose Alvarez he gives up three runs in a third of an inning but John Brebo was able to clean up the fourth inning and then from there Jarlin Garcia Zach Little Dominique Leon, Tyler Rogers, Jake McGee all give you scoreless innings and for the Washington Nationals, they were able to go 4 of 10 with men in scoring position but still left 10 men on base. The Miami Marlins certainly left more on base than they were able to score because they scored 0 against the Atlanta Braves. 5-0 the final for the Miami Marlins. Just nothing doing for them on offense. They get a combined 2 hits as Charlie Morton was magnificent in this one. 7 scoreless settings. Luke Jackson, Jesse Chavez from there give you a scoreless setting. And for the Atlanta Braves, the tone was set early by one Freddie Freeman, his 18th home run season. Anthony Bass was pretty much the opener in this one. He was taking hook, line, and sinker for that home run. And then Sean Morimundo winds up coming in as pretty much a bulk guy, and he goes five scoreless innings, so give him a little bit of credit from there. Anthony Bender winds up giving up two runs in an inning, and then you wind up having a run in an inning, give it up by both Zach Pop along Stephen O'Kurt, and for the Miami Marlins, 
Very interesting what's happened with them thus far. As they are 38 and 49 despite having a plus 15 run differential. That's the second best run differential in the National League East, and they are nine and a half games back of the Mets. So that shows you what sort of a season they're having. The Cleveland Indians and the Kansas City Royals did not get a lot of offense generated, but the Indians were able to get just enough to be able to get a two to one win for Brad Keller. His best start of the year, seven and two thirds innings, he gives up one run, but then Jake Brents in the eighth inning would give up a solo shot that was hit by Mr. Bobby Bradley, a sent homer on the season, and for Tristan McKenzie, a guy that was having all sorts of command issues coming into this one for the year, right around seven and a half walks per nine innings, seven scoreless innings, gives up one hit, one walk. This was by far his best start of the year, and then Emmanuel Clase gives up a solo home run out of the bullpen, and James Karinczak gets a scoreless inning to be able to get the W.S. Ore Soler, who had 48 home runs in 2019, has been just absolutely useless this year. He was able to get that solo shot off of Clase, his seventh home run of the season. And for the Royals, by the way, I believe that they have now lost 22 out of their last 29 games, so it has not been going well for them. Speaking of it not going well, that's exactly what is happening for the... Houston Astros as they wind up losing by a count of 4-0 to for the New York Yankees and perhaps the Yankees have found something in one Mr. Nestor Cortez. Four and two-thirds inning scoreless. Chad Green is able to give you two scoreless innings out of the bullpen and then John Fabulizga and Lucas Lutige both are able to combine for two and a third inning scoreless and for the Yankees. All of a sudden they've won three out of their last four on the road. They go just two of nine with men in scoring position but they were able to get to Jake Odorizzi combining for 12 hits in this one. Odorizzi goes six innings, gives up two runs Brian Abreu winds up giving up two runs in a third of an inning after looking very solid prior to this. And Brandon Bielak, two and two-thirds innings scoreless out of the bullpen. But for the Astros, they were held down in this one. Jose Altuve, Michael Brantley, Yoli Gurriel, and Jordan Alvarez all combined for just one hit as Carlos Correa was also getting the day off in this one. So that was not necessarily too terrific. The New York Post play the day of the under in Padres versus Colorado Rockies survives a pitching change. And that's because the Rockies... Well, they are looking like the worst road team we've seen in baseball history as they are now 7-34 on the road this year. 4-2, the Slam Diego Padres wind up getting the job done. As for the Colorado Rockies, they strand eight men on base. Kyle Freeland, not necessarily the world's worst start, not the greatest start. Gives up three runs over the course of five innings. Tyler Kinley, Justin Lawrence both give you a scoreless inning. Michael Givens, he gives up a run in an inning out of the bullpen. And for the Slam Diego Padres, no home runs in this one, but they go three of ten with men in scoring position. And getting the start in this one, Reese not Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. Gives up two runs in three and two-thirds innings with the Padres. They've got the best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues, and they showed it off in this one. Miguel Diaz, two and two-thirds innings scoreless. Tim L, two-thirds of an inning scoreless. And then Mark Melanson gets his 27th save of the season with his scoreless inning. And Austin Adams also provided a scoreless inning. So the Padres get it done once again. Speaking of being able to get it done, that's what the Reds did against the Brewers. 2-0 to the final for Wade Miley. He winds up going eight scoreless settings. Now, he had to avoid some line mines, giving up seven hits and three walks, but he still got done, and then Ethan Embry was able to have a scoreless setting for the save for the Cincinnati Reds. No home runs in this one. They go two of nine with men in scoring position, but they were able to get a little bit to Eric Lauer. Lauer, you can't really blame him in this one. He gives up one run over the course of six innings. That should be good enough to win. Miguel Sanchez gives up a run in an inning. Hunter Strickland was able to give you a scoreless setting, and Janel Gustave in his first appearance as a Brewer, I believe, he winds up giving you a scoreless setting as well, but for the Brewers, they go 0 of 7 with men in scoring position. They were hurt by a pair of errors out there in the field, so that was not necessarily too ideal for them. Speaking of not necessarily too ideal, that was the Blue Jays night on Friday as they wind up losing to the Tampa Bay Rays by a count of 7-1. to 
for the Rays. They did this all without getting any homers, but they wind up going 3 of 14 with Ben in scoring position, pounding out 8 hits, and Shane McClanahan winds up only going 4 innings, but he gives up one run in the process. Andrew Kittrich, Jeffrey Springs, both give you two scoreless signings out of the bullpen, and J.P. Fireisen was able to close the door. And for Springs, five strikeouts among his six outs that he wound up getting, and for the Toronto Blue Jays, Alec Manoa? Manoa, what? This wasn't a great start. He did get nine strikeouts among the 11 outs that he wound up getting, but in three two-thirds innings, he gives up three runs, two of which were earned. Taylor Saucedo continues to be a standout in the bullpen. Buck 29 ERA. He gives up nothing in one and a third innings, but you've got Anthony Castro, Jacob Barnes, and Rafael Dolis all having right now between 5-3-1 and 5-7-9 ERAs. For Castro and Barnes, they combine for an inning, giving up four runs. Dolis a scoreless inning, and Adam Simber, newly acquired from the Marlins, he gives you a scoreless inning as well, but for the Buffalo Blue Jays, certainly has been strange times for them as they just weren't able to pound out any offense in this one. The Athletics did not wind up getting any offense in Texas. 3-2 to two the final as the A's wind up losing this one. Cole Irvin, not his best start. Gives up three runs over the course of five innings. Sergio Romo has actually looked better out of the bullpen. He, J.B. Wendelkin, Diolius Carrera I'll give you a scoreless inning, but for the A's, one of six with men in scoring position, Jordan Lyles. He avoids giving up seven hits to only allow two runs over the course of six innings. From there, Brett Martin along Josh Orbich give you a scoreless inning. They combine for one, Spencer Patton and Ian Kennedy both give you a scoreless setting as well as the Rangers bullpen has been better in recent days and for the Texas Rangers, although things have been a little bit rough, this is a team that is 22 and 23 at home, meanwhile 13 and 30 on the road and for the Oakland A's, it certainly has not necessarily been going their way recently and I think that I'm putting it very politely as they have now lost 4 out of their last 5 games a team that has been losing Quite a few games all year long. That would be the Minnesota Twins, but they wind up taking down the Detroit Tigers on Friday by a count of 42 for the Tigers. Matt Manning did not throw any interceptions, but he did give up two runs over the course of five innings. From there, you wind up having Ian Kroll come out of the bullpen. He gives up two runs in two-thirds of an inning. Buck Farmer was able to complete the sixth, and Tyler Alexander was able to give you two scoreless innings. And for the Detroit Tigers, Robbie Grossman was able to get a home run off of Taylor Theobar. His 12th home run season at Theobar gives up both runs in this game in his inning of relief. And so Robles, Jorge Alcala combined for three scoreless innings. And Kendra Maeda really having a nice come up. He has given up three runs or fewer, and now seven out of his last eight starts, five scoreless innings, so they were able to get it done there, and for the Minnesota Twins, all of a sudden, a little bit of a mini run for them, as they have now won two straight in this series overall, they have now won four out of their last six, they could use any positive momentum at this point, and that is something that is obviously quite a positive. What else is a positive is, if you are a Seattle Mariners fan, being able to get a very nice eighth inning, as Mitch Haniger winds up supplying an 8th inning grand slam to be able to help the Seattle Mariners get the job done over the LA Angels. Currently, I'm doing this just after the 8th inning wound up wrapping up. It's 7-3 as I do this right now. And for Alex Cobb, he gave a pretty good start for the Angels. He winds up giving up two unearned runs. He was hurt by a Luis Rangifo error in five and a third innings. From there, Tony Watson gives up a run in an inning out of the bullpen. Alex Claudio, Steve Ciszek, they both give you a third of an inning, not giving up anything. But Mike Myers and... Jose Quintana, who has been absolutely terrible all year long, they give up a combined four runs in the eighth inning, and for the Angels, you were able to get a David Fletcher home run, a rarity, his first of the season, and Shoy Otani did it again. 33rd home run of the season. Both of those home runs wound up coming off of one. Monaco Gonzalez, who went five and two-thirds innings, giving up three runs, both of those homers, but JT Jargois, Drew Seconrider, both give you a scoreless inning, and Anthony Machevich was able to give you a third of an inning out of the bullpen, and folks... This is not a test. This is not me being the onion here. The Arizona Diamondbacks 
went to Los Angeles and got a win. I am doing this as the bottom of the ninth is just wrapping up, so the score might change a little bit, but 5-2 to two is what I've got. David Price winds up being a pseudo-opener for the Dodgers in this one. Three scoreless innings out of him, and then from there, you wind up getting two innings out of Darian Nunez, who winds up giving up two runs, one of which was earned, including Homer going deep for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Eduardo Escobar is 20th home run of the season. The Arizona Diamondbacks would strand 11 men on base, but they were able to do just enough to be able to get the job done, because they wind up also being able to get to Edwin Uceta. Goes two-thirds of an inning. He gives up two runs in the process. It took Jake Reed getting out of the ninth for the team to avoid further damage. Scott Alexander was able to give you a scoreless setting along with Alex Vesia and Joe Kelly gives up an unearned run as well as Justin Turner down for what and Max Muncy both commit fielding errors and Tyler Widener winds up getting the start in this one his first in quite a while I believe that it was his first since May four and a third innings he gives up one run looked very good coming off the injured list from there Brett guys with his 7.59 ERA gives you two thirds of an inning scoreless Joe Manapoli is able to give you a scoreless setting along with Ramirez J.B. Burkakis winds up giving up a run in an inning but for the Dodgers just saw a lot doing on offense. They were able to get an A.J. Pollock home run his 10th of the season, but it was very much a barren night for them and for the Arizona Diamondbacks. They entered in this game losers of 28th out of their last 29 games on the road, and that is something that we're noticing right now. Home teams have been very dominant. As we know, stands are getting packed once again. If you're looking at the last 30 days in baseball, home teams 242 and 159. That's a little bit over a 60% clip. If you're looking at overs and unders over the last 30 days, slightly into the over. 194 overs, 183 unders. So that's right around 51.5% as well. And favorites in this time have been doing very well. 256 and 142. That is a little bit over 64%. If you're looking over the last seven days, because I know that a lot of people are looking at these sticky substances. We've actually seen a couple more unders rather than overs ever since we wound up seeing the substance crackdown in the last seven days. 47 unders, 43 overs, and in the last seven days, we have seen the favorites hit at a pretty good rate, 54 and 39, but overall for the year, they've actually been doing a little bit better for the season. Favorites are now 770 and 532. That is right around a 59.2% clip. Home teams overall for the year winning at a 55.5% rate, 729 and 584. And if you're looking at overs and unders for the year, 633 overs, 624 unders. So that's what we're all seeing in baseball right now, and that's what we wound up all seeing in baseball on Friday. Now, let's take a look at what we might be seeing at the trade deadline. Let's take a look at some of the teams that might be clawing their way back into divisional races. We're going to be chatting about all that and so much more with our good buddy Danny Vietti of CBS Sports along with the Wake and Race podcast next right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Greg Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our next guest. This man does absolutely terrific work over there with CBS Sports, covering all things MLB over there. He also hosts a podcast of his own, the Wake and Rake Podcast. That is with Will Middlebrooks. Those two guys do an absolutely tremendous job holding it down there. And for Danny's Twitter feed, you're able to follow him on Twitter, at Danny Vietti, last name is spoke V-I-E-T-T-I. Great to be able to go out to the state of California today, Danny. Great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Always happy to join, Greg. It is great to be able to have you aboard. And noticed it a couple days ago, the San Diego Padres, that 8-0 comeback over the Washington Nationals. And as I'm seeing it right now, the National League really running through the West. 
the LA Dodgers, even though they're probably going to be without Trevor Bauer for quite a while. That's obviously a developing situation. We don't necessarily know what's going to be happening there. That makes things interesting. You've got the San Francisco Giants still on top of the league, and now the Padres have been able to come on strong as well, despite the fact that they've been dealing with injuries. And if the Padres are able to get back some of these pieces, because Mike Clevenger has not pitched all year long, they've dealt with a couple guys that have been in and out of the fold, I still think that there is an outside chance that the Padres might be able to win that National League West division. It's interesting. You think of the Padres and the Dodgers coming into the season, and you think those are the two best starting rotations in the league. And here we are in July. It might just work out where those teams, those two teams that are expected to have the best rotations, could be looking at starting pitching at the trade deadline to try and add to their starting rotation, which is hard to believe. But when you look at Los Angeles, Clayton Kershaw just hit the IL a couple days ago. Trevor Bauer is on administrative leave. Dustin May, Tommy John surgery. They've had injuries their rotation. All of a sudden in San Diego, Blake Snell came down with his illness. You mentioned Mike Clevenger, how he's out for the season. Denelson Lamette is back on the AL again this season. Interesting to see that both of these squads, while still in a very good position to compete and try and win a division, both of those squads could be looking to add to their starting rotations. And I think when you look at the Padres and Dodgers, and this is no disrespect to San Francisco, because San Francisco has proven to us by now that they're going to be in the fold for the rest of this year. But when I look at Los Angeles and I look at San Diego, what really sticks out to me is kind of what I just aforementioned, and that's health. You look at those previous series, and typically in those previous outings and previous games, it was the team that was the most healthy that had the advantage. The very first series between San Diego and Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Dodgers were more healthy. The second and third series between those two clubs, the San Diego Padres were more healthy. So I think both those teams are going to be active at the trade deadline. You have two very aggressive front offices going at it. But right now, all three of those teams, Giants, Dodgers, Padres, they're going to be interesting over these next couple weeks because I think the next week, two, maybe three weeks after this all-star break, it could really indicate what the landscape of the league is going to look like because it's crunch time for everyone involved. I'm right there with you. I do think that these next few days are going to be very critical going into the All-Star break and then those first couple games after the All-Star break as well because we've seen it with Blake Snell. He's been amazing whenever he's been at home for the San Diego Padres. Meanwhile, on the road, he just is not the same guy. When you take a look at the Dodgers, they did get five and a third innings in Tony Gonsolin's last hurt. That is a very good sign for them. But you just wonder who might be out there on the market for these teams because I think that there was a lot of buzz that Max Scherzer might be out there on the market. Well, the Washington Nationals, by somewhat default, are back out there in the NL East race. So I don't think that they're going to wind up trading him away. When you take a look at some of these teams, like the Tigers, they are out of it. But at the same time, they really don't have any trade pieces because guys like Casey Mize and company are young, they're going to be looking to build around them. So I think the real question becomes, who's going to be out there for these teams to try to acquire at the deadline? It's interesting, too, because obviously the greatest asset that is expected to be available, non-pitcher, I should say, is Trevor Story. But the teams that are at the top of their divisions right now typically all have starting shortstops already in place. You look at the American League East, you got Xander Bogarts with Boston. Over on the West Coast, you got Brandon Crawford. Corey Seager is expected to come back from injury. Of course, Fernando Tatis for the Padres. In the Central, you got Tim Anderson. So the Brewers, they just acquired Willie Adamas a couple months ago, and he's been one of the best shortstops in the league since coming over to Milwaukee. So 
it's interesting that the most sought after piece, or at least is expected to be, the market for him is, I don't want to say thin, because he's such a good player, and any team would be lucky to have a guy like Trevor Story. But the teams that are at least expected to be after a guy like Trevor Story could be thinner than expected, simply because are you really willing to risk putting all these prospects out there for a rental that is Trevor Story, and you're willing to risk that for a one-game playoff? That's what these teams are going to have to ask themselves. And I think that's what Chicago did coming out. And it was Ken Rosenthal and Jeff Passan both reported that they are going to be sellers at the market. Now, Chicago is in a position where they're at about 500 and they could technically go for it if they really wanted to, but they haven't been playing well lately. Now they're saying they're going to be sellers, which I actually think is a good decision. To me, it's expected to. When you trade a guy like you, Darvish, before the season, if you're looking at it from the outside in, are you really trying to compete? If you're trading a guy like you, Darvish, coming off a Cy Young type season last year and you trade into the Padres, are you really trying to compete? That's the question. And clearly, they really weren't this year. And I think that was expected. And you mentioned Matthew Boyd. I certainly have my eyes on him. Another guy, John Gray for the Rockies, could be available. Tyler Anderson for the Pirates, another guy that could be getting some looks. And Kyle Gibson has had an excellent season for Texas. He's an all-star this year. Are they willing to give him up? I don't know, but he could be available as well. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with a guy like a Kyle Gibson, Matthew Boyd. Just has not made too many starts in general for the Tigers. He's been a little bit banged up these last few months. So going to be some very interesting things going down there as we do have Danny Vietti join me on the podcast. And I think that it is good that you wound up pointing out what the Cubs are going to be doing at the deadline because I too think that it's a correct move. It just is not working out for them. But when you take a look at both the NL East and the NL Central, I think that these are two very interesting divisions because with the Mets, if they wind up getting back all their pieces healthy, you're able to get something out of Noah Syngard. You're able to get something out of Carlos Carrasco. I think they should be able to hold on and win the division. Meanwhile, you take a look at what you're able to get out there in the NL Central. The Brewers have been able to build a little bit of breathing room, but the Reds have been playing some good baseball as well. And with the Reds, I think that they're in a curious spot that they might wind up going for it if they wind up having a nice run after the All-Star break because this is a team in which they've got some mashers in Nick Cassianos along Jesse Winker that are doing an absolutely tremendous job. And guys like Tyler Molly have to step up if they're able to get the Luis Castillo of old. This is a team that all of a sudden might be looking at a little bit of something. I couldn't agree more. Coming into the season, I was a lot higher on the Cincinnati Reds than other people, and that's not to pat my own back here that's simply to say i really like their starting rotation this year sunny gray luis castillo really stumbled out of the gates but he's really found his way you mentioned tyler mail wade miley threw the no hitter earlier this year they're gonna have michael lorenzen coming off the il here shortly so i really like their rotation i think their rotation one through five is actually the best in the league now the milwaukee brewers have the two best pitchers in that division corbin burns and brandon woodruff but in regards to Cincinnati versus Milwaukee, I think Cincinnati one through five with their rotation is actually the better club. But of course, it is Cincinnati. They don't quite have the situational awareness that Milwaukee does in that lineup. So Cincinnati, and I, I mentioned Trevor Story, Cincinnati could be interesting because they could possibly use a Trevor Story. Now, it goes back to my earlier question. Does a team like Cincinnati want to give up the farm for a rental player that is Trevor Story? That remains to be seen. But that division is certainly interesting. And then in, you mentioned the National League East. New York Mets are one of the worst hitting teams in the league. In runs per game, they're in the, them and the Pirates are basically battling for the worst, the least amount of runs per game. 
if the Mets do end up making the playoffs this year and they end up with the least amount of runs scored per game, they would be the first team in Major League Baseball to make the playoffs while also having the least amount of runs scored per game, which would be not a title that New York is searching for, but it would certainly be an interesting storyline. Yeah, it certainly would be. And I don't think any team will apologize about being able to make the postseason no matter how many slash how few runs they're getting. I mean, heck, we're seeing with the Seattle Mariners right now like a negative 50 run differential. And here they are going into the weekend above 500. They're currently playing against the LA Angels, which I find them to be interesting as well. Because when you take a look at the Angels, they've been without Mike Trout for quite a while. But there are multiple games above 500 going into Friday for the first time since April. And... Shohei Otani, 32 home runs. They've been able to get a little bit more of something out of guys like Alex Cobb. If the Angels are able to go on a little bit of a run themselves, I'm not saying that they're going to be winning the division or anything like that because I think that that's the Astros title. But perhaps they wind up maybe thinking, okay, now that we've got Mike Trout back, if we wind up acquiring just a little bit of pitching, maybe we do sneak into one of those wild cards. The Angels acquiring pitching. What a theory that would be, right? Oh, yes. Uh, after all these years, I mean, right now, you look at the Angels. I mean, Shohei Otani is not only their best hitter with Mike Trout out of the lineup, but he's also their best pitcher. I mean, head and shoulders above the next guy. Andrew Heaney, Alex Cobb. Patrick Sandoval, I mean, it's just not going to get it done for me. So I would love for Paramination to make a move at the deadline. I've been wanting the Angels to make a move for a starting pitcher for years now. They haven't done so yet. Now, their bullpen's actually been sneaky good this year. They've done a much better job than in years past. Last year, them and the Phillies, they were the worst bullpens in the league, blowing the most amount of saves. But this year, they've been much better, headlined by Reyes Iglesias as their closer. If the Angels want to make any kind of move, it's going to have to be in that starting rotation. They're going to have to add starters. They can't rely on Shohei Otani hitting 60-plus homers and also having an ERA of three and making 30 starts. It's just too much to ask from one guy, if you ask me. So they could look to the trade market. Like I mentioned earlier, the first couple weeks coming after this All-Star break is really going to indicate who's going to be in play, which teams are actually in the hunt versus you know the whole contender-pretender type thing. But I think it's going to be crucial for the Angels. Yeah, the Angels are pretty much asking for Shoei Otani to do something that has never been done before in baseball history. And thus far, he's been able to do it. So to his credit, he's been able to hold it down there. And speaking of being able to hold it down, that's exactly what you're doing, Danny. You do an absolutely amazing job over there with CBS Sports doing their MLB coverage. You do the Wake and Rate podcast. That is with Will Middlebrooks. You do a great job there. You're in the great state of California covering all things baseball. So let the good people at home know what you're all working on right now and how they're able to follow along on social media and elsewhere. Of course, yeah. You can follow all my latest on CBSSports.com, CBS Sports MLB, and then definitely catch us on the Wake and Rake podcast at Wake and Rake Pod every week. And Danny, doing an absolutely terrific job with the Wake and Rake podcast and CBS Sports. Always great to be able to get him on the podcast. So, big thanks to Danny for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Saturday. And a little something you like to call, touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, 
Always great to have Danny Vietti join the podcast. That's great work over there with CBS Sports, along with the Wake and Break podcast. So big thanks to him. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Saturday and a little something like call. Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that, as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at Jaren's One. We're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation, or this is where we go National League games first, then the American League games, and then interleague games are typically on the bottom, but we do have a doubleheader between the Mets and the Pittsburgh Pirates, so the last game of that doubleheader is actually going to be at the bottom, but I will tell you right now, I'm just going to do those both together. It will save a little bit of time, make things a little bit easier, so we are going to get that all squared away in a few minutes as we do start with our first national game, 951-952 on the betting board. The Washington Nationals at the road to face off against the San Francisco Giants. Anthony DiScalfani is going to be going for the Yantes. Meanwhile, John Lester is on the bump for the Nationals. Your total on this game is 9. Unders any between minus 110 and minus 115. The overs any between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Giants, you're going to be finding them any between minus 177 and minus 194. Meanwhile, your plus price here with Washington. Anywhere between plus 165 and plus 170 for Washington not having Kyle Schwarber no doubt hurts he wound up having 18 home runs last month so needless to say guy knows what he's doing but you still have some guys that are able to do a relatively solid job for this team you've got a guy in Victor Robles that doesn't necessarily have the world's greatest batting average but his on base has been hovering right around a 320 all year long you've got someone like a Jan Gomes who's hitting a 265 for this team Josh Harrison a little bit above that he's got in the pocket of about a 350 on base as well and then you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Drake Turner down for what 17 homers 19 slow bases 320 batting average going to yesterday Juan Soto had a pair of homers in that San Diego Padres series so looks like he's starting to get online and LCD's Escobar is actually giving the team some solid at bats and then you take a look at the San Francisco Giants got a lot of guys that have on base percentages that are about 100 points higher than their batting averages especially out there in the outfield with guys like Adam Dickerson and Mike Ustremski in that pocket and then you've got Wilmer Flores, Brandon Crawford Darren Ruff along Donovan Salato all in between a 260 and a 275 for Crawford he's been able to belt out 17 home runs now Brandon Belt speaking of belts he is currently out of the fold but Stephen Duger hitting a 300 but supposedly being out of the fold has hurt the San Francisco Giants the last couple days, but I do like the bullpen that you've got with the Giants. You've been able to get quite a bit of something out of guys like John Breva, John Garcia, Dominique Leon. These guys have been relatively solid for the Washington Nationals. They are getting a little bit more healthy out there in the bullpen. You have Kyle Finnegan along Danny Hudson off the injured list. Wander Ice World, this guy sucks. It's all up there, but awesome both. Has been able to give you some good innings. And Brad Hand has been highly reliable for this team. And then you take a look at the stars. John Luster, I feel like, is a guy that is very inconsistent to say the least. He's going to give you some good starts and then he's going to throw out there a couple turds and recently has given up a couple turds. Five plus runs given up in each out of his last three starts, but I will say, three of the runs that he wound up giving up in his last start against the San Diego Padres were unearned, and prior to that, he had given up two runs or fewer in each out of his last five starts. So, it's been the best of times, the worst of times, so I will say this with John Lester as well. He has given up at least one home run in every one of his starts since the beginning of June, and then you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Anthony D. Scalfani. He has been amazing, actually. Been able to do his best work on the road, but 
That's because he just has a big bugaboo team with the Los Angeles Dodgers. They light him up if you take out his starts against the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's got a sub-2 ERA right now. He has been able to do a very solid job of being able to get some swings and misses as well. Right around eight and a half strikeouts per nine innings. You take a look at what he's been able to do at home, giving up three home runs at 34 innings. That will certainly play opponents starting at 203 off of him. I do feel like the Giants should be a very sizable favorite in this spot. I wound up setting them as a minus 121 favorite on the run line. If you're looking at the money line, I set that at a minus 193. And if you're looking at the run line right now that we've got offered, anywhere between even money and plus 110. So I'm going to wind up taking that with the San Francisco Giants. Also wound up setting this total at 8.4. So we're going to be diving under along with the Giants on the run line. 953-954 is going to be in conjecture with 981-982. Double header between the Pittsburgh Pirates and the New York Metropolitans with the Metropolitans hosting that. In game one, it's going to be Tyler Anderson going for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Meanwhile, one Marcus Stroman is going to be going for the Metropolitans in game one. In game two, it is going to be Tyler McGill going for the Mets. Right now, it is to be determined for the Pittsburgh Pirates in game two and you got to figure that that's going to be somewhat of a bullpen game there. And with the game one between Anderson and Stroman, you're finding the Mets anywhere between minus 184 and minus 190 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Pirates, plus 169 to plus 175. 5.5 is the total with the over at minus 120 and the under. Even if you're looking at a six as well, you're able to find that with the under juiced at minus 125 and the over at plus 105 in game two because we do not know who's going to be going for the Pirates. We do not have any numbers there, but I want to say numbers. If it is McGill versus a bullpen game, going to be making the Mets minus 167, and I'm going to be taking a look at a 6.8 on the total. So 6.5 or lower, we'd be taking a look at the over 7 or higher, going to be taking a look at the under, and I can tell you with my numbers in this game one, I want to make the Mets a minus 182 favorite, but I want to making them on the run line right in the pocket of about a plus 110, and right now I'm seeing that at a plus 125 at the Westgate, so I'm going to wind up taking that, and I also wind up setting this total at 5.6, so I'll probably be taking a look at a six under if I wind up seeing a good five and a half might wind up considering that but you take a look at Marcus Stroman and he has been able to do a good job despite the fact that he hasn't necessarily gotten a bunch of punch outs so far this year you look at Stroman barely over a two ERA he's going to be going up against a guy in Tyler Anderson who has had his ups and downs 439 ERA is not necessarily too bad for a four and eight record but the home runs have really been his bugaboo right around a home run and a half per nine innings for Mr. Anderson you take a look at him recently three runs are fewer given up in four out of his last five starts so he's done a good job there. And with Anderson, he's given up two walks or fewer each out of his last five starts. Just not getting a lot of strikeouts right now. Right around 7.7 per nine innings for Strowman. That's more in the neighborhood of about 7.6, but... He's been able to do a better job of not giving up hard contact. Nine home runs given up in 93 and a third innings. And then when you take a look at Mr. McGill, who's going to be going in game two, this is someone who has made three starts, 14 and a third innings. He's given up a lot of homers with three, but the good news is he's going up against a Pirates team that they just have not been able to belt the ball out of the yard. They're in the bottom five with regards to home runs per at bat, home runs per game. You were able to take a look at all those metrics. And for McGill, six blocks and 14 and a third innings is a tad high, but he's also getting 19 strikeouts. And you take a look at this Pittsburgh Pirates team. Yeah, but able to get a little bit of something at the top. I do like what you're able to get out of Adam Frazier along with Brian Reynolds. A pair of guys sitting above a three-er. pair of guys with north of a 385 on base. Cabrian Hayes has been able to give her right around a 270 batting average as well. And maybe they able to get something out of John Nagowski, who winds up coming over from the St. Louis Cardinals. He's right now hitting a 290 in a short stint with the Pirates, so that has been very good. But then you've got Kai Tom. 
Michael Perez. How about if we go with Gregory Polanco? Whole bunch of guys hitting a 225 or lower. Eric Gonzalez, Cole Tucker, Jared Oliva. So that has been a little bit rough. And for the Mets, this is a team that they're starting to get healthier. You got Pete Alonso, Dom Smith, both hitting right around a 255 with Alonso. Entered into yesterday with 15 home runs. Brandon Nimmo's back as well. You get off to a white hot start as well. He's right now hitting about a 325. You do have back Michael Conforto, who's right now hitting right around 200. You got to figure that he's going to round into form. Jeff McNeil has a 330 on base and for Francisco Lindor it just hasn't gelled for him yet. He's hitting at 220 but you do take a look at the Pirates bullpen and in a bullpen game they do have a lot of guys that are very solid for an inning. I do like what you've been able to get out of guys like David Bernard. Richard Rodriguez has been reliable for the team. Jason Shreve right around at 260 ERA. Kyle Crick has had his ups and downs recently but overall for the year he's been solid and then for the Mets they probably won't need their bullpen overly much in game one but in game two you got to figure that someone like a Trevor May, Seth Lugo, probably going to need to lend an inning or two, and these guys have been solid along with Miguel Castro. Mets are in the top 10 with regards to pretty much every bullpen metric, and for the Mets, they've got the best ERA at home so far this year. It's barely above two, so I do take a look at this spot when it comes to Mets versus Pirates in Game 1, which we actually have numbers for. I'm probably going to be taking a look at an under of six once we get a couple more numbers on that, and I'm going to be taking a look at the Mets on the run line, and like I said in Game 2, six after lower, going to be taking a look at the over with Miguel versus what I assume to be a bullpen game, and I'm going to be making the Mets right around a minus 167 favorite, but check back in the morning my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41 if we see some changes there. 9.55, 9.56 on the rain board. The Atlanta Braves at third face-off against the Miami Marlins. Trevor Rogers is going to be going for the Fishies. Meanwhile, Max Fried is going to be on the bump for the Atlanta Braves. Braves are finding themselves anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. If you're looking at the Marlins, you're going to be finding them anywhere between even money and plus 106. Your total on this game is 7. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 115. Rodgers has been able to do a very good job all year long for this Miami Marlins team. And then you take a look at Max Freed. He's had a lot of good starts, but he just winds up throwing out there a dud every once in a while. Wound up having a rough start to begin the year before going on the injured list. And since he's gotten off the injured list, he has been relatively solid aside from one just absolutely horrific start in which he winds up giving up six runs against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Prior to that, he had given up three runs or fewer in each out of his last four starts. And for that matter, Drew runs a fear in three out of his last four. So that was something that you did like to see. And for Freed, it's not like he's given up a bunch of home runs so far this year. He has gone 67 to two-thirds innings, given up eight home runs. So he's been able to hold down the fourth there right around three walks per nine innings. And then for Trevor Rogers, he has given up right around three walks per nine innings, but he's only given up five home runs so far this year. This Miami Marlins team in general doesn't give up too many homers at home because it is such a pitcher-friendly ballpark for Rogers. 237 ERA when he's been at home. He's given up one home run in 38 innings at opponents starting a buck 90 off of them. So that has been incredibly impressive. And then you take a look at the Atlanta Braves. They were able to do a solid job of getting to the Miami Marlins in what was a pseudo bullpen game. But you've got at the top four guys hitting between a 265 and a 280. And all will probably exceed 25 homers this year. You've got Austin Riley, Ozzy Albies, Freddie Freeman, and Ronald Lacuna Jr. And for Acuna Jr., he's almost at 25. He's already at 24 with 52 RBI going into yesterday. Freddie Freeman gets his 18th home run of the season yesterday. And then you've got Abraham Almonte, nearly a 400 on base. He has been solved for the team. Guillermo Redia has been able to do a nice job in the outfield. He's got right around a 360 on base. They've kicked the tires on a couple guys like Orlando Arcia and company. So, going to be interesting to see what happens there, especially with Jonathan Lucroy. I guess the 
Braves are just becoming a haven of former Milwaukee Brewers as he's on the roster as well. And then you take a look at the Miami Marlins. They did wind up getting back Adam Duvall in the lineup. He and Jesus Aguiar, both that have been able to give this team north of 55 RBI so far this season for Duvall. He has been able to pound out 19 homers and for Aguiar, entered in yesterday with 14. But for Duvall, only in G27 doesn't necessarily walk a lot. That's the opposite of the Marte Parte of Starling Marte. Right around a 390 on base for him, Jazz Shizlam, along with Miguel Rojas. A pair of guys sitting in the realm of about a 255. You do have a couple guys like Corey Alfaro, Jesus Sanchez that need to pick it up with the batting average and Joe Panic. Ever since the team wound up acquiring him from the Toronto Blue Jays has been a little bit rough. But you take a look at this Atlanta Braves team. The bullpen seems to be doing a little bit better recently, but A.J. Minter has not been what the team was hoping for this year. Luke Jackson has been able to give the team some good angst. Shane Green, he has just been all sorts of a mess. North of a 10 ERA. And then you take a look at the Miami Marlins. They did wind up having to use up quite a few bullpen pieces yesterday, but Richard Blyer has really been able to rein it in for this team. Yimi Garcia, Dylan Floro, the former Dodgers have been very solid. Zach Pop has been a guy that has not necessarily been too reliable, but it seems like he's starting to find it a little bit as well. This is a situation in which I have it as a relative pick'em game, but I did make the Miami Marlins a slight favorite at minus 104, and I want to saying this all at 7.3, so we're going to be looking over along with the fish. 9.57, 9.58 on the bang board. The Chicago Cubs are going to be playing us the St. Louis Cardinals. Kwon Young Kim is going to be going for the cards. Zach Davies is going to be on the bump for the Cubs. Cubs are fighting themselves as favorites in the spot of anywhere between minus 115 and minus 121. Meanwhile, if you're looking at a plus price with the Cardinals, anywhere between plus 105 and plus 111, 70 is your total. Unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 125. Overs anywhere between plus 105 and minus 110. And for Kwon Young Kim, he has been able to rein it in a lot recently as he wound up spending some time on the injured list. You can tell that it was hampering him a little bit. Ever since coming off the injured list, he has been able to do a much better job of being able to hold down the forward and always a guy that has been able to keep the ball in the yard. He's given up six home runs in 66 and a third innings. And you can tell that coming off the injured list, he just didn't necessarily have the world's greatest command. He always did a solid job of not walking guys so far this year. He's up to 24 walks in 66 and a third innings, but two walks for fewer and three out of his last four starts. So that's very good to see because he's a guy that's going to give you right around six and a half, seven strikeouts per nine innings. Meanwhile, for Zach Davies, he's got a strikeout to walk rate that is not necessarily ideal. He's given up right around 4.7 walks per nine innings. His strikeouts per nine is 5.7, but he's been able to do a little bit of a better job recently. He wound up being the starter when the team wound up throwing the combined no-hitter. Now, he wound up having a very bad start a few weeks ago against the Miami Marlins, giving up eight runs in that spot. But with that said, in the other four of his last five starts, giving up a combined four runs. Now, walks are still a little bit of an issue, at least three walks, give it up in three out of his last four, but he's been able to rein it in a little bit more, give it up less than home run per nine innings, and what I'm taking a look at right now is the win, because it looks like it is going to be blowing in a bit. That is going to be no doubt a little bit of an influence here, but you know what doesn't necessarily get influenced by the win? That would be walks, so that is something that I do take a look at as well. And the Cubs just in general hit much better at home than they do on the road. The, both of these teams rank in the bottom five when it comes to batting average in the league, but Chris Bryant has been able to do a good job for this Cubs team. He's been able to pound out 16 home runs. He's got right around a 350 on base. And then you take a look at the Cubs in general. You have been able to get some good power. Javi Baez, 21 homers so far this year. Wilson Contreras, who's been a little bit banged up recently, has been able to give the team 13 bombs. Patrick Wisdom, 12 homers and 111 at-bats is pretty sick and impressive. Jock Peterson needs to pick it up with regards to batting average, but he's still been able to give the team 11 homers, so you've had a lot of that going on. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, you've got a bunch of, as I like to call, like-minded batters 
on this team. You've got Dylan Carlson, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill, Yadier Molina, Tommy Edmond, all in between a 257 and a 276. And a lot of similar on bases. You've got Tyler O'Neill right around a 332 on base. He needs to be able to give the team 15 homers in about 225 at bats. So he's been really one of the best power hitters for the team. And Carlson right around 350 on base, but lots of 320 to 330 in there with regards to on base percentages. Harrison Bader, Umando Sosa have been giving you a little bit as well with Sosa hitting at 250. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, what is a little bit of an issue for this team is that for one, because Wade LeBlanc only gave them three innings yesterday, they had to really dive deep into their bullpen. Genesis Cabrera had to wind up getting used up along with Andrew Miller, Ryan Helsley, Brandon Waddle. So you're going to need to be really relying upon Alex Reyes in this spot. You're going to need to get a little bit of something out of Giovanni Gallegos. And then when you take a look at the Cubs, I know that their bullpen has not necessarily been as great the last two weeks, but they had to dive a little bit into it as well. Dame Weekler had to be used up a bit. Andrew Chafin did as well, but only for four pitches. Craig Kimbrell has looked amazing for this team, and you've still got quite a few other guys for this Cubs team that have been able to do a relatively solid job all year long coming out of the bullpen. I do like what you're able to get out of someone like a Ryan Tapera. I know that Dylan Maples is on the injured list, but he was able to give the team a little bit of something as well. I do take a look at this spot, and I did wind up making the Cubs a minus-123 favorite, despite the fact that I know how bad they have been in this recent stretch. I believe that they have lost 12 out of their last 14 games, but keep in mind, a lot of those games wound up coming on the road, and it's not like the St. Louis Cardinals have necessarily been lighting it up either. So this is a situation in which I'm going to be taking a look at the over, and I'm going to be taking a look at the Cubs on the money line. We move on to game number 959-960 on the betting board. The Cincinnati Reds, yes, we are on to Cincinnati, and they're under the road. Face-off gets the Milwaukee Brewers. Freddie Peralta is going to be going for the Brew Crew. Vladimir Gutierrez is going to be on the bump for the Cincinnati Reds. Reds are finding themselves as sizable underdogs. Any team plus 170 and plus 176. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Brew Crew, that is any team minus 190 and minus $2. 8 is your total. Over and under any team minus 105, minus 115 for Freddy Peralta. He has been towards the top 2 slash top 3 with regards to qualifying National League starters in both fewest hits per 9 given up and most strikeouts per 9 innings. Give it up. He has been incredibly impressive for this team. He's got a 2.23 ERA. You take a look at what he's been able to do in Miller Park so far this year. I think it's American Family Park or something like that. It's always going to be Miller Park to me. Buck 72 ERA so far this season. Four almost given up in... 52 and a third innings, and opponents are earning a buck eight off of him. It's been amazing. Meanwhile, Mr. Gutierrez, he wound up having a couple nice starts. He has been getting it around ever since, and three runs or more given up in three out of his last four starts. And the big thing is the homers. He has given up five homers in his last three starts, at least two walks issued in his last five, as well as his walks per nine so far this year is right around 4.3. So that has been an issue now with the Cincinnati Reds. What is not an issue is being able to supply offense. Now they are much better at home than they are at the road of being able to do this, but Eugenio Suarez, Nick Cassianos, Jesse Winker, all between 17 and 19 armors going into yesterday. Now Suarez hitting a buck 77, that needs to improve as he doesn't necessarily walk a lot. Jonathan India, along with Joey Votto, though, 260 to 275 batting average, and for India, right around a 390 on base. Jesse Winker, Nick Cassianos, both of these guys have nearly a 400 on base as well. Now Kyle Farmer, Ardicide Sakino, Shogo Akiyama, some of the guys at the bottom have not necessarily been able to get the job done, but Trevor Stevenson 
Hamilton and Tucker Barner at the catcher spot, both hitting right around a 270 to a 280 and for the Milwaukee Brewers, you've been able to get a little bit of something out of Luis Urias. He has been able to hit right around a 245. You're able to throw in there Willie Adamas, Christian Yelich, wearing between a 235 and a 250 for the scene for Adamas, double-digit amount of farmers ever since he joined the Brewers now with Yelich. Five home runs going into yesterday. You just expect a little bit more, but obviously, Garcia, 16 bombs so far this year. He and Jace Peterson hitting between a 250 and a 260. Now, you need a little bit more out of guys like Kesson Hira, Manny Pina. These guys have not necessarily been too terrific. Daniel Robertson is someone that has not been able to hit as well, but you take a look at the Brewers. Bullpen has been lights out. Brian Boxburg has actually been able to give you some very good innings. They picked up Hunter Strickland, and he's had himself a very nice season as well. Devin Williams, Josh Hader, you know what you're going to be able to get out of these guys, and for the Reds, bullpen has not been great for this team. You're still without DJ Anton, who's on the injured list. Ryan Hendricks has not been able to really get the job done. Zionella Perez is actually giving you a dab into something. Our Warren is someone that I like. Josh Osich has actually been a good find, but you take a look at what you're going to be able to get out of this team. I think that it's going to be a little bit of a tough one here for the Reds because you are facing off against a dominant starter in Peralta and Gutierrez. It's just giving up quite a bit in general, so this is a situation where I'm going to be taking a look at a run line of the Brewers with the Brewers run line. I am seeing it right around even money. I'm seeing as good as a plus 110 as well. I was actually willing to lay a price with the Brewers on the run line. I was prepared to have to go to like a minus 110, minus 115. So that is something that I will gladly take. And in this spot, I wound up saying this total at 8.1. So we're going over along that Brewers run line. 961, 962 on the banking board. The years of the Diamondbacks at the road face off against the LA Dodgers. Walker Bueller is going to be going for the Dodgers. Caleb Smith is going to be on the bump for the years of the Diamondbacks. So on this game is 7.5. Over Zeddy 14, minus 105, minus 120. The under Zeddy 14, even a minus 115. If you're taking a look at the Dodgers, going to be finding them anywhere between minus 268 and minus 286. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Diamondbacks. If you want to light your money on fire, is any work team plus 226 and plus 256. Now, I will say this for Caleb Smith. Out of all the guys that are getting starts for the Arizona Diamondbacks, he and Merrill Kelly are actually giving you an honest effort. Problem is, after you wind up getting a couple good innings out of Caleb Smith, he winds up getting pulled, and then you've got a bullpen full of guys like Joe Manapoli. It would be Kevin Ginkle if it wasn't for him being on the injured list. Matt Peacock, Riley Smith, a whole bunch of guys that began the year as starters. Now in the bullpen, Jordan Weems, Brett Day guys, both have north of 70 RAs. It's just absolutely terrible for Smith. He has given up nine home runs at 70 and a third innings, and the walks are still an issue. Just below four and a half walks per nine innings, but he has been able to do a good job of being able to get some swings and misses. You take a look at what he's been able to do in his starts. He has been able to do a nice job of folding down the fort. Now, he did wind up getting lit up a little bit in his last start against the San Francisco Giants, but prior to that, in his last six appearances. He had given up two runs or fewer in five of them, so he's a guy that has actually been able to do a solid job for the team. Meanwhile, for Walker Buehler, he has been giving up quite a few homers, and most of those homers have actually been at home, to my surprise. So far at home, so far this year in 10 starts, he has given up 10 homers and only 17 walks at 64 innings. Opponents are a buck 97 off of him, so really other than the deep ball, he's been able to do a good job there, and when you take a look at the Dodgers, they should just completely manhandle the ears and the Diamondbacks. You take a look at what you've all got in the full, just Justin Turner down for what? Max Muncie, Will Smith, Chris Taylor, Mookie Betts, all have a double-digit amount of farmers. All these guys have on-base percentages that are north of a 340 as well. Gavin Lux, AJ Pollock, they need to pick it up a little bit with their on-base. And Cody Bellinger, only a buck 87. You got to figure that he's going to be able to come around. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, you have been able to get something out of Eduardo Escobar. He and Josh Rojas throwing their David Peralta as well. And Israel Cabrera hitting between a 245 and a 255 for Escobar, 19 home runs. 
Josh Rojas, 10 homers. And then Passat, you really don't have anyone outside of Rojas and Escobar north of 7 homers. Paven Smith has been leading right around a 265 for the team, but Dalton Varsho has been brutal. Nick Ahmad not giving you anything whatsoever when it comes to that. And for the Dodgers, they did wind up having to use up a little bit of a bullpen game yesterday, but you got to feel like someone like a Blake Trying might be able to come back in this game, give you a couple good innings. Darren Nunes is someone that they might be able to get innings out of. I don't know a ton about him, but he apparently he did a good job in the minor league. Scott Alexander is able to give you some good innings as well. This is the spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at the Dodgers on the run line. I just can't trust in a Diamondbacks team that entered into yesterday. Loses of 28 out of their last 29 on the road. And hey, the Dodgers run line, I'm seeing it at minus 125 in some spots. I'm seeing more around minus 135 in others, but I was willing to lay up to a minus 144 in this spot. So I am certainly going to be taking that. And when it comes to the total, set it at 7.9. So I am going to be taking the over along the Dodgers run line. 963-964 on the betting board. The Colorado Rockies are on the road facing off against the Salam Diego Padres. Joe Musgrove is going to be going for the pods. Meanwhile, one Urban Marquez is going to be going for the Colorado Rockies. Souls between 7 and 7.5. Seven on the 7, over Zeus and minus 120. The under is even. On the 7.5, under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. And if you're looking at the Padres, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 162 and minus 171. Meanwhile, if you're looking at a plus price here with Colorado, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 149 and plus 156. Hard to have faith in a Rockies team that entered into yesterday with one of the worst road records that we've seen in recent memory. They entered into yesterday 7-33 on the road. Now, I will say for Ermon Marquez, he has always had a better ERA on the road than he's had at home. Right around a career 3-5 ERA, and he's been relatively solid for the Rockies all year long. You take a look at what he's been able to do on the road this year, though. 467 ERA as opposed to a 306 at home. He, just like everyone else on this team, have just been so much better at Coors Field. On the road, Marquez giving up 5 homers in 34 and 2 thirds innings. Not necessarily ideal. Opponents are getting 254 off of him. And then you take a look at Mr. Joe Musgrove. He deserves a better than a 5-6 and six record pitcher. No hitter earlier this year. Sub-3 ERA. He has given up about 1.2 home runs per 9 innings in the neighborhood of about 2.2 walks per 9. His strikeouts per 9. That's hovering right around 10.5 as well. And in San Diego so far this year, 289 ERA with opponents sitting at 201 off of him. So he has been able to do his job. And then you take a look at the San Diego Padres. You have to factor in the fact that Fernando Tatis Jr. actually leads the league in errors. So not only does he provide a bunch of runs with 28 armors, 60 RBI, 20 stolen bases, and a 300 batting average going into yesterday, but can be a little bit of a liability out there in the field from time to time. Manny Machado, Jake Cronin, were Trent Grisham, only between a 270 and a 280. All these guys have solid on bases, and all these guys have double-digit amount of homers with Manny Machado really heating up since the beginning of June. Eric Hosmer has been able to do 260 for the Seymour Myers, more around a 250. So all in all, good lineup. And for the Colorado Rockies, I mean, the guys for the season have halfway decent numbers, but you have to factor in that this team is sitting about at 280 as a collective at home, more around the Mendoza line, 200 on the road. So you take a look at them, and among their position players, they had one guy out there yesterday that entered into the game with a sub-250 batting average, but the problem is, a lot of the summers come at home. You take a look at Remy Tapia hitting at 291, but on the road, that is going to sink by at least 50 points. Jonathan Daz is in that fold as well. Charlie Blackman has actually done a halfway decent job on the road and Ryan McMahon has been able to hit a couple homers on the road. He entered with 16 in total going into yesterday and then you take a look at the Rockies bullpen. It has been absolutely awful. The Rockies have one of the worst bullpen ERAs in the league, especially when they're on the road. Daniel Part has been able to give you a couple of solid innings. Carlos Estevez now has a north of 5 ERA. He's not necessarily been too terrific. Michael Gibbons coming off the injured list is good for the team but you take a look at the Padres as well. They did have to dive into their bullpen a little bit yesterday but this is a bunch in which Pierce Johnson, Tim Hill have been able to give this team some solid 
innings. Emilio Pagan right around at 3-2 ERA. Craig Salmon is able to give you some good innings as well. I take a look at the Padres, and I feel like they should be able to absolutely dominate in this spot. If you're taking a look at a run line price in this game, you're finding it anywhere between a plus 120. I'm seeing as good as a plus 130. I'm going to be all aboard that run line because I do think that the Padres are just going to be able to outclass a Rockies team that is right now generating right around 2.7 runs per game on the road. So we're going to be taking a run line of the Padres. Wound up setting this all at 7.3, so we're going to be taking one of those 7.5 unders as well. 965-966 on the betting board. The Tampa Bay Rays are going to be playing us to the Toronto AKA Buffalo Blue Jays. Ron Stripling is going to be going for the Jays. Ryan Yarbrough is going to be on the bump for the Tampa Bay Rays. Rays are finding themselves anywhere between minus 116 and minus 120 favorites. Meanwhile, with the Blue Jays, between plus 106 and plus 110 is your price there. Totals between 8 and 8.5. On the 8, over is minus 120. The under is even. 8.5, under is minus 120. And the over is even. For Stripling, he's actually been able to do a great job all year long. His lone bugaboo has been the fact that it feels like he gives up a solo homer in just about every one of his starts. And your fear with him is that that solo homer that he's giving up, it turns into a two-run shot. It turns into a three-run shot. 13 homers, give it up in 71 innings so far this year. But a 406 ERA is, he has now given up two earned runs or fewer in each out of his last four starts. Problem is, he's given up one homer in every one of them. Now, he's issued two walks or fewer in four of his last five starts. So, he's been able to rate it in with that regard a little bit over nine strikeouts per nine innings. And then you take a look at Ryan Yarbrough. He's just always been better whenever a reliever comes in for him. Whenever he is following an opener, he is 24 and 5 throughout his career. Meanwhile, he is sub 500 as a starter and his ERA balloons by about a point as an actual starter. So that is something that you do want to take note of. And he has given up right around 1.4 home runs per nine innings, but he's also given up 1.5 walks per nine innings. And you take a look at Yarbrough, actually been worse at home than he has been on the road. He has made eight total appearances at home, has only given up three homers in 39 and a third innings, but opponents are getting about a 270 off of him. And then for this Blue Jays team, how about what you've been able to get out of this offense? You've got Vlad Guerrero Jr., who's just absolutely amazing. A 440 on base, entered into yesterday with 28 homers. Marcus Simeon and Bubba Shett have been incredible at the top. Bichette hitting in the pocket of about a 316 homer. Simeon, 20-plus bombs. He's been able to hit for about a 280. George Springer is starting to come along for the right as well. Randall Gritchick, Lourdes Gurriel, Reese McGuire, all in between a 260 and a 275 as well. Teoscar Hernandez hitting a 300 and for the race. This is a team that they like to strike out a lot, but they do have a pair of guys in Brandon Lau along with Mike Zanino. Both of these guys have 18 plus homers. Both of these guys hitting below a 210, which I find to be very curious. You've got a lot of guys on this Rays team that have a batting average that's about 100 points lower than their on base. Someone like a Taylor Walls, 226 batting average, but 327 on base. Austin Meadows, 243 batting average, 337 on base. Joey Wendell sitting at 275. That's a little bit more in line with his 337 on base. But G-Man Joy, 260 batting average, 380 on base. So, you've got a lot of that going on. And for the race, we all know about this bullpen. J.P. Fireisen has been able to come in and has been able to do a nice job. You've got Andrew Kittrich giving you some good. Annie Diego Casio, P. Fairbanks. These guys are all able to get the job done. And for the Blue Jays, they have made a couple recent pickups. Jacob Barnes, Adam Simber have been able to add to this bullpen along Trevor Richards who wound up beginning the season as a Ray. As a matter of fact, Taylor Saucedo in limited innings has been able to give this team a tad bit of something. So with the Blue Jays, they are starting to hold it down there but I do have that fear that Ross Stripling gives up a homer. It winds up being more like a two or three run shot which is why I did wind up saying this all at nine and a half. I think that both of these guys are going to give up a little bit. We're going to be going over and what I'm saying the Rays is a minus 125.
124 favorites. So we're going race and the over. 967-968 on the ring. The Minnesota Twins are going to be playing against the Detroit Tigers. Currently a game that is off the board as the Tigers have a undecided starter. Meanwhile, Bailey Ober is going to be going for the Minnesota Twins. With Ober, it has not necessarily been the world's greatest year for him. He has been able to make quite a few starts for the Minnesota Twins, but you can tell that he just hasn't necessarily been able to get his bearings about him at this point. He's got a 585 ERA, 1-1 record. The deep balls in general is giving up in the neighborhood of about 2.1 home runs per 9 innings. The walks per 9, that's hovering right around 2.7-ish, so it hasn't been great. It hasn't been bad. 10 strikeouts per 9 innings is something to write home about. And then when you take a look at the Minnesota Twins, the bullpen seems to be coming along for the ride. You've got Ansel Robles, Taylor Rogers, a pair of guys who you can trust in, but Caleb Theobar has not been good for this team. That's putting it very politely. Jorge Alcala has been up and down, and Alex Colomay. It's just a big, giant waste of money at this point. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Tigers, and the bullpen isn't great. Brian Garcia has been starting to let up some hits, but you take a look at Kyle Funkhauser. He's got a ERA that's hovering right around at 2-6 right now. He's been able to do a good job for the team. Daniel Lenores, someone that you want no part of whatsoever. Erasmo Ramirez is starting to get hit around a little bit, but Gregory Soto has been able to give you a couple good innings out of the bullpen. Tyler Alexander has been relatively okay, and he might be a candidate to start. He's got a little bit of starting experience. I know that Daniel Lenores does as well, so you might be seeing a dose of him, but you take a look at this Detroit Tigers lineup, and Zach Short has right around a 380 on base. Going into yesterday, it was hitting about a 215 along Noah Mazzara, but he had been able to find a way to be able to get on. Same goes for Robbie Grossman, 355 on base. He, Jameer, Candelario, Akil Badu, all between a 350 and a 360 on base. Jonathan Scope, ever since the beginning of the month of June, he's sitting right around at 330. He has really been able to pound out the homers with 16, so he has been able to do a good job. And Eric Haas, double-digit amount of homers as well. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Minnesota Twins. You've been able to get quite a bit of something out of Alex Kurloff along the Trevor Larnage. Both of these guys hitting between a 260 and a 265. Nelson Cruz hitting a 300 as well. 18 homers since the beginning of the month of June. He's been able to pick it up. Luis Arias is hitting at 290, but you have noticed that guys like Max Kepler and Miguel Sano not necessarily doing the world's greatest job with regards to their batting average. And for Sano, he had been in a little bit of power outage. Seems like he's starting to get a couple more homers, but catcher spot in general with guys like Ryan Jeffers, Ben Rotvet, these guys have not been able to get it done. Ore Palanco hitting about at 250, but I do take a look at this spot. If the Tigers wind up trotting out there, someone like a Tyler Alexander, I'd be making the Twins probably like a minus 135-ish favorite, but if you wind up getting someone less trustworthy for the Tigers, it goes down. If you wind up getting maybe a little bit of something unexpected, it perhaps goes up, but that's where I'm looking right now, and I'm probably going to be setting a total north of nine, but it all depends on what we wind up getting with the Tigers. So check back in the morning my Twitter feed at JarenScourty1 once we know a little bit more there. 969-970 on the bang board. The Texas Rangers are going to be playing OC Oakland A's. James Caparillion is going to be going for the A's. Mike Fultonavich is going to be on the bump for the Texas Rangers. Rangers are finding themselves as underdogs in this spot. Anywhere between plus 120 and plus 131. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Oakland. Anywhere between minus 141 and minus 138 is your price there. Nine is your total. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even at minus 110. And this is a situation which I'm going to be taking a look at the over because Mike Voltanavich has just been giving up so much hard contact so far this year. In 94 innings, he's allowed 21 homers. And that's the same amount of homers as he's given up in walks with 21. His strikeouts per nine, right around a six and a half. Nothing to really get excited about. Meanwhile, with Caparillion, we're like 10 strikeouts per nine innings. He's also a guy 
guy that's going to give up the deep ball. Eight homers give it up in 57 innings, but for a young guy, Caparillion has been able to come along now. I will say the Oakland A's have lost each out of his last three starts, but not necessarily because he's pitched badly. For Caparillion, he has given up three runs or fewer in all but one of his starts so far this year, so he's been able to do a good job of holding down the 40. He's backed up by a bullpen then has been able to do a relatively solid job. J.B. Wendelkin is off the injured list. as not necessarily had the world's greatest year, but you got to figure that he's going to find it a little bit. Yasmino Petit, Birch Smith, these guys are able to give you some good innings. Lutrevino, a sub-2 ERA. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Texas Rangers. Got a couple decent bullpen pieces in Ian Kennedy. I do like what you've been able to get out of Spencer Patton as well, tore it up at the minor league level. He's been very good for the team. Brett Martin has been able to come in, give this team some good innings. It looks like John King is on the injured list. That is no doubt going to be a little bit of a blow. You're going to look to Joe Barlow probably a little bit more as a result. And then when you take a look at the Texas Rangers, Joey Gallo has hit something like eight homers in his last two weeks, so he has been able to get absolutely white out for this team. You need a couple other guys to be able to step up for this bunch of. You take a look at Jonah Heim, Nick Solak, Jose Trevino, Brock Holt, all these guys hitting between a 215 and a 230. Been a little bit interesting. Aurelius Garcia has 20 homers so far this year, but he's hit like, I would say, four of them in the last 45 days. 275 batting average there. Isaiah Kinnear Falefa hitting a 260 as well. And then for the Oakland A's, this is a team that they do a good job would be a reach base. Matt Olson along Tony Kemp, right around a 370 on base for Olsen, 20 plus homers so far this year. You've noticed that Matt Chapman and Elvis Andrews have been able to pick it up. Both guys hitting between a 230 and a 240, but ever since the beginning of June, these guys have been significantly better now. You need a little bit more out of guys like Steven Piscotti. You're able to throw in there. Sean Murphy, Seth Brown, these guys are hitting a 220 or lower, but Ramon Laureano, double digit amount of homers, hitting a 245. I take a look at this spot, and I do think that the Oakland A's should be a relatively sizable favorite. Set them as a minus 156, and if we're taking a look at the run line in this spot, seeing that right around a plus 110, I would like to be able to get a little bit more, so I'm just going to stick with the money line of the Oakland A's, and in this spot, set the soil at 9.6, so we're going to be going over along with the Oakland A's. 971-972 on the rain board. The Chicago White Sox hit the road to face off against the Baltimore Orioles. Tom Eshelman is going to be going for the Orioles. Lucas Gilito is going to be on the bump for the Chicago White Sox. White Sox find themselves anywhere between a minus 182 and a minus 210 favorite. Meanwhile, with the Orioles, finding them anywhere between a plus 175 and a plus 180. And the total on this game is 10 with the over anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. And you take a look at Lucas Giolito. It's not necessarily been the world's greatest season for him. Moving forward, I'm probably going to be looking to fade him a little bit more. But with that said, you got Tom Eshelman on the other side who is giving up more than one home run for every two strikeouts that he gets. He has given up so far this year four homers in 16 and a third inning, 716 ERA, 171 whip, and he's backed up by a really bad bullpen as well. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Cole Sulzer. You've also had a guy in Tanner Scott who's been able to give you a little bit of something. Cesar Valdez had a good start to begin the year, but he has really started to regress a little bit as well. And then you take a look at what you're able to get out of someone like Dylan Tate has been up and down. Sean Anderson, I don't think he's going to be a lend anything. And for the White Sox, their bullpen is a little bit banged up as well, but Ryan Burr has been very good for this team. Jace Fry just wound up coming off the injured list. I think that he's going to be able to give you some good innings. Michael Kopech is off the injured list as well. And then you take a look at Giolito. 18 home runs given up in 98 and two-thirds innings, so right around 1.7 home runs per nine innings. With the strikeout numbers, they are there as well. Right around 10.8 strikeouts per nine innings. His walks per nine have actually not been too bad. Right in the pocket of about 2.8, 2.9 now with the White Sox. They are a team that they're pretty badly banged up, but Tim Anderson is still hitting well above a 300 for the team. You've got quite a few guys in 
Adam Engel, Lurie Garcia, Andrew Vaughn, Gavin Sheets, along with Jose Abreu. All in between a 245 and a 260, with a lot of these guys are on bases hovering between a 315 and a 330 as well. And for Mr. Abreu, he has been able to lend the team over 60 RBI so far this year. Yoel Moncada has right around a 400 base. And then you take a look at the Baltimore Orioles. Cedric Mullins has been absolutely amazing for this team. How about he, along with Trey Bubu Mancini and Ryan Mountcastle? All these guys have been able to give you anywhere between 14 and 16 homers with Mullins, 380 on base, 314 batting average. Mancini and Mountcastle, more between a 255 and a 260 for them. Austin Ace hitting a 250 for this team as well. Anthony St. has been hitting about a 240. And then you got Pedro Salvarino and Calvin Gutierrez in between a 220 and 230. But then Pat at Chance Cisco, Austin wins. You're able to throw in there Ryan McKenna, CV Wilkerson, a bunch of guys hitting a 210 or lower for the team. Ramon Odias has been able to give the team a couple of good uh, plate appearances as well, hitting about a 280, but I do take a look at this spot. I do think that the White Sox, despite being banged up, they just have a whole heck of a lot more than the Orioles. The Orioles are pretty much a fade moving forward, especially when Mr. Eshelman is on the mound. If you're looking at the run line price of the White Sox, finding that any between a minus 125 and a minus 135, I was willing to lay up to about a minus 143 in this spot, so we're going to be taking the White Sox on the run line with this total. I did want to sing at 10.2 because I do think that Giolito is going to be able to give you a tad bit of something, but with Eshelman, I think that he's just going to get shelled, man. We're going to be taking the over of 10, and I'm going to be taking the run line of the White Sox. 973-974 on the bang board. The Kansas City Royals are on the road facing off against the Cleveland Indians. Cal Quantrill is going to be going for the Indians. Mike Miner hopes to not be a major disappointment for the Royals. Total on this game is 9. The under is anywhere team minus 115 and minus 110. Meanwhile, the over is anywhere team minus 105, minus 110. If you're taking a look at the Indians, you're going to be finding them as slight favorites. Anywhere team a minus 114 and a minus 122, plus price here with the Kansas City Royals. You're going to be getting that anywhere between even money and plus 109. I want to make this a relative pick'em game. Made the Indians minus 101, so that tells you what sort of a dead eat you've got here. So, getting a plus price here with the Royals, that does appeal to me because Mike Miner has actually been better when he's been on the road rather than when he's been at home. At home, he's got a north of 5 ERA. has certainly not been going great from, but you take a look at what he's been able to do on the road. He's got right around 502-ish ERA. He's given up 6 home runs of 43 innings. That's better than 10 and 59 in the third innings at home and opponents batting average 235 on the road compared to 258 at home so you've got a little bit of something there you've got it looks like it might be Eli Morgan if it winds up being Eli Morgan instead of Mike Miner I'm going to make him an even bigger favorite because when you take a look at Eli Morgan 844 ERA 8 homers give it up in 21 in a third inning so that is absolutely terrible and for Cal Quantrill he's actually able to be a relatively competent pitcher he's just not going to be able to give you a whole heck of a lot of length you take a look at Quantrill so far this year, a 420 ERA. He has made 25 total appearances, seven of which have been starts. You take a look at his last five starts. He has given up at least three runs in three out of his last five, but each out of his last three as well. So it doesn't necessarily walk a lot of guys. 19 walks of 55 and a third innings and five home runs issue, but also not a swing and miss guy. He's only going to get you right around seven punch outs per nine innings. Now he's backed up by a good bullpen. James Karachek has been very nice for the team. Emmanuel Clays, his ERA is hovering right around a buck 50. You've been able to get something out of Nick Samlin, Brian Shaw as well, Nick Wickren has had a little bit of a rough season, and for the Kansas City Royals, Josh Shamon has really wanted progressing a little bit. Jake Brents has been able to give you right around a 275 ERA. Scott Barlow, sub-3 ERA, so you got a couple trustworthy guys there, and for the Kansas City Royals, Salvador Perez has been very good for the team. He's been able to give you right around a 275 batting average, 20 homers, north of 50 RBI so far this season. Got a couple other guys doing a good job of being able to get on base for you. Andrew Benatendi, Nicky Lopez, Whit Merrifield, along with Ansel Alberto, only between a 260 and a 275 for this bunch, and then you've got a guy, Michael A. Taylor, sitting at 250 along with Carlos Santana.
Santana and for Santana, 370 on base for the Cleveland Indians. You do have a lot of your big boppers back. Framil Reyes has been terrific for this team. He, Amid Rosario, along with Jose Ramirez and Harold Ramirez, only between a 255 and a 275. And for Framil Reyes, he's been able to give the team a home run every about 12 or so at bats, which has been very helpful for this team. But then you've got Austin Edges, Oscar Mercado, Cesar Hernandez, Bradley Zimmer. All guys are in a 225 or lower for this team. They've got a new outfielder in Daniel Johnson that they're trying to give a couple reps to as well. So I do think that that's going to be a little bit of a tough situation, whether it be Eli Morgan or Mike Miner. If I'm getting a plus price here with the Royals, I'm certainly going to take it with it being Eli Morgan. If he winds up being the starter, I'd probably be willing to lay about a minus 125, maybe even a minus 130 with the Royals. So in some former capacity, likely going to be taking a look at the Royals in the spot. Wind up setting this solo at 9.1. If it winds up being Eli Morgan that winds up going, I'll probably be willing to take a 9.5 over as well. So that's what we're looking at. The Kansas City Royals and the over in the spot. 975-976 is the New York Post play of the day as the Houston Astros play us to the New York Yankees. Garrett Cole is going to be going for the Yankees. Zach Greinke is going to be on the bump for the Astros. Astros find themselves as slight favorites here in a lot of books. Underdogs in others. You're going to be finding the Astros anywhere between even money and minus 114. Meanwhile, the Yankees as good as a plus 104, as bad as a minus 110. 8.5 is your total over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And the over is going to be the play here because you take a look at Zach Greinke and all in all for the year, he's got a very good record at 8-2, but you take a look at what he's done at home and it has not necessarily been too terrific. So far in Houston so far this year, he has a 526 ERA across nine starts. He's given up nine homers and 51 and a third innings. His strikeouts per nine rate, that is hovering right around a seven. Opponents starting at 296 off of him. Meanwhile, opponents starting at the Mendoza line of 200 off of him on the road. And then you take a look at Garrett Cole. Has not been in very good recent form at all. Overall for the year, he still has a sub three ERA, but he has given up a combined 10 runs in his last eight and a third innings across his last two starts. And he has given up the deep balls, ladies and gentlemen. This is a man that has given up nine home runs in his last five starts. And he's going up against the Houston Astros team that they have a bunch of guys that they're capable of hitting the deep ball. As you take a look at this entire lineup, it is just full of landmines. Jose Altuve, Michael Brantley, Yoli Gurriel, Jordan Alvarez, the currently on the injured list, Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa. All these guys, aside from Brantley, on pace hit north of 20 homers. All these guys hitting at minimum a 280. All these guys at minimum a 360 on base. Miles Straw is now hitting a 270 for this team. Kyle Tucker, a 265, and he's been able to pound out 14 homers and nearly 50 RBI. Abraham Toro, Jason Castro, both hitting a 230, but this offense has been able to get going. And for the Yankees, all of a sudden, they've been able to get a little bit of something as well. DJ LeMahieu, John Carlos Sand, Gio Rochella, in between a 265 and a 275. Aaron Judge, we all know about him. 380 on base, 20 plus homers so far this year. Gary Sanchez, after he had a very good month of June, he has regressed here in July, but he is at the very minimum, but able to give you some hard contact. 14 homers so far this season. Now guys like Brett Gardner, along with Rudnett Odor, Tyler Wade, Kyle Igashioka when he's out there. These guys are ranking at 220 or lower, but you've been able to get a little bit more production there. And for the Yankees, Aroldis Chapman is just a hot mess right now. I don't know how you have any confidence in him. Chad Green has been very good out of the bullpen. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of guys like Lucas Lugy, but he has been having his issues as well. Wani Peralta has not been great. And for the Houston Astros, I will say top 10 bullpen ERA in the big leagues over their last three days. Ryan Presley has been able to do a very good job out of the bullpen for the team. I do like what you're able to get out of Brian Abreu as well. This is a man with right around a four-ish ERA. You've got Ryan Sandick, Blake Taylor giving you some solid innings, but it's not like they've got a completely bona fide and terrific bullpen either. So I take a look at this spot. New York Post play of the day is the over as I felt like this total should have been a little bit north of nine, but 
I do also take a look at this spot. I do think that Garrett Cole is going to have the factor of revenge going up against his old team. I wound up saying the Yankees as a very, very slight favorite in this spot. So I'm going to go with a plus price here of the New York Yankees slash a very, very small price. I'm willing to lay up to a minus 104 with them. And I'm going to be taking this total over as well. 977, 978 on the betting board. The LA Angels hit the road to face off against the Mariners. Chris Flexen is going to be going for the M's. Patrick Sandoval is going to be on the bump for the Angels. Angels are finding themselves as favorites between minus 110 and minus 118. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Mariners, you're going to be finding as good as a plus 102, as bad as a minus 110. Seeing a plus 105 out there as well. Your total on this game is 8.5. With the 8.5, under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. And for Chris Flexen, he has been a completely different pitcher home to road. I don't know how and I don't know why. And I do think that there's going to be regression that winds up setting in with Flexen at home. But Buck 99 ERA, nine starts in Seattle. He's given up three home runs at eight walks and 54 and a third innings. And opponents are at 228 off of him. Opponents are at 352 off of him on the road. So I'm not sure how that winds up working, but you know what it does. And for Patrick Sandoval, he's actually been a very nice find for this Angels team. He's given up three runs or fewer in each out of his last five starts. So he's been able to hold it down there. And the team has won each out of his last four starts. Now, a lot of that is because the team has scored at least five runs in each out of his last five starts. So they have been coming through for him as well. And for the Angels, I don't know how much trust you could have in this bullpen. You've got quite a few guys that have north of 4-5 ERAs, like a Tony Watson. Rossi Iglesias has actually been very good for the team recently, but Junior Guerra has his ups and downs. Steve Ciszek has been okay. Alex Claudio is able to give you a tad bit of something, but then you take a look at the Seattle Mariners. You have been able to get some good endings out of Keenan Middleton. They've had Kendall Graveman be one of the best relievers in all of baseball. Going into yesterday, a 0-99 ERA. Rafael Montero has been absolutely terrible for the team, but Paul C well, has been able to give you some good innings as well. Drew second writer as someone that has been able to do a good job. And for the Mariners, they have the worst batting average out there in the American League. And yet somehow, some way, they keep on finding a way to be able to get wins. Entering yesterday, a 46-42 and 42 record with a negative 50 run differential. And for the Angels, two games above 500 going into yesterday, right around a minus 24 slash 26 run differential, but you take a look at the Seattle Mariners team. You've got Kyle Seager, Lewis Torrance, Shed Long, Dill Moore, Jake Bowers, Jorge Mamalois, Taylor Trammell, all guys hitting a 216 or lower for the team. Jake Fraley has been able to hit a 240. I will say Ty France right around a 350 on base. He has been solid. JP Crawford is hitting a 280 for the team. And Mitch Haniger, 19 homers so far this year. He's been able to do a nice job with that regard. And then you take a look at the LA Angels. David Fletcher has right around a 300 batting average for the year, but in the month of June. That was more around a 360. Jared Walsh has 22 homers and a 280 batting average, which is on par with Shoei Otani's 280 batting average. Obviously, Otani leading the league going into yesterday with 32 homers, but Walsh has been a very nice story that's went under the radar with Shohei Mania. You've got Jose Iglesias, who's been able to hit about a 275 for the team. Max Sassy and Phil Gosselin, both hitting a 300 as well, so I do think that you're going to see a couple fireworks in this spot, but I do think that Sandoval, because he has been giving up three runs or fewer in all of his starts, but he seems to give up like three in every one of them as well. I do think that you're going to be able to see some runs in the spot. So this is all 9.2, so I'm going to be taking it over. And for Chris Flexen, he has been able to get the job done at home. I have no idea how the Seattle Mariners have been able to accrue this record, but I do think that
that Chris Flexen is going to be able to get the job done. I favor the Mariners bullpen. So we're going to be going with the Mariners in this spot and the total over. And we wrap things up with 979, 980 on the betting board since we already covered 981, 982. Pirates versus Mets. When we wound up covering the first game, it is Philadelphia Phillies in the road to face off against the Boston Red Sox. Martin Perez is going to be going for the Boston Red Sox. Matt, give me some more is on the bump for the Philadelphia Phillies. Total on this game is anywhere between 11 and 11 and a half on the 11 over is between minus 110 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even a minus 110 on the 11 and a half over and under are both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Boston Red Sox, anywhere between minus 139 and minus 148 is your price there. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Phillies, anywhere between plus 125 and plus 135 is what you're getting on them. For Matt Moore, I just don't have any confidence whatsoever with him. He wound up going to Japan for a few years and he didn't necessarily have the best run of it there. He has returned to Philadelphia and guess what? He hasn't necessarily had the best run of it either. He has given up six home runs in 27 and third innings, 560 ERA. He's given up just under five walks per nine innings. On the road, he's actually been a little bit better than he has been at home, but he's actually been coming out of the bullpen a lot. 18 and third innings on the road, he's given up three home runs, only three walks, but opponents are hitting overall about a 292 off of him on the road. Meanwhile, you take a look at Martin Perez. He certainly has been worse at home than he has been on the road. On the road, a 204 ERA and a 4-1 record with giving up two home runs in 39 and two-thirds innings at home. Seven home runs given up in 41 and a third innings and opponents are hitting 332 off of him when he's at Fenway with a 566 ERA, but with the Boston Red Sox, you've got such a better bullpen. And they were really able to dig into that Phillies bullpen yesterday as the Philadelphia Phillies wound up getting two and a third innings out of Vince Velasquez. That is not necessarily ideal. So you're going to have a very tired Phillies bullpen and one that on the road has not necessarily been too great. Connor Brogdon has been able to give you a couple okay innings along with Archie Bradley, Brandon Kitzler. He looks to be getting back to his normal self. And I will say Ranger Suarez has been good as a long guy, but Hector Neris is currently someone I have no confidence in whatsoever. And Yel De Los Santos wound up having to come into the third inning yesterday. Meanwhile, for the Boston Red Sox, Edicazo Saudomora has been very good for the team. Adam Adovino, Darwin's and Hernandez. These guys have been rock solid for this team as well. Garrett Woodlock has a sub-2 ERA. He's able to give you multiple innings. And then you take a look at the Boston Red Sox. You've got Alex Verdugo hitting about a 280 for the team. Rafael Devers is hitting a 290. He has been able to supply the team with 22 homers. He has been able to also supply north of 70 RBI. Hunter Renfro, Christian Arroyo, Christian Vasquez, all guys hitting between a 255 and a 265 as well. Bobby Dahlbeck seems to be finding it as well. And then for the Philadelphia Phillies, Odubo Herrera wanted being very hot in late May slash early June. That has regressed a little bit. It is he, Andrew McCutcheon, Reese Hoskins, D.D. Gregorius, Alec Baum, all in between a 235 and a 245. Though I will say for McCutcheon, 350 on base, 15 home runs for this team. Gene Segura's back. He's hitting well above a 300. JT Riamuto, 370 on base. And for Bryce Harper, he's been able to supply the boom. 15 homers and a 280 batting average. Problem is, 14 of those homers have been solo home runs. And for Reese Hoskins, he has been able to give the team 20 homers as well. But I do take a look at this spot, and I do think that despite the fact that Martin Perez has not necessarily been the world's greatest pitcher at home, he is going to be able to get the job done. I think that he's going to give you a little bit more than Matt Moore. I want to saying the Boston Red Sox as a minus 157 favorite. If you're taking a look at the run line in the spot, seeing that between plus 120 and plus 122, I need, honestly, a plus 123. So it is right there. So I'm probably going to just stick with the money line in the spot. Also, one I'm saying the total at 10.6. I do realize that these pitchers are somewhat stinky, but I think we've went a little bit too far here. We're going to be taking that 11.5 under along with the Boston Red Sox. And that'll wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Saturday. A big thanks to our good friend Danny Vietti of CBS Sports along with the Wake and Rake Podcast for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have any question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, one or two ways we have for those. And first one is my Twitter timeline at your earnscorty1. Keep in mind, letters, EM. 
Amy does not matter. So as always, send those into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review if you rate this podcast five stars. It is very much appreciated. And then from there, you will send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you, into there. Always love the fact that you guys interact and tune in every single day. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.